Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. Uh, notice the verbiage change there. It's no longer assault weapons. Now it's semi-automatic weapons should be banned. That, that's like 90% of all guns sold. Uh, but what a surprise. They would have banned a bunch of guns. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu. Save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, take a second. Like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Click the bell. We appreciate it. Jason Butcherill is here to share government secrets. I'll be doing an experiment with Mountain Dew that it's probably going to land me in the hospital. But we start by doing the death of the middle class. This is, you know, every once in a while I like to stop and take one of these big claims made by the media and the left constantly and just pick it apart a little bit. And this is one that drives me nuts all the time. The death of the middle class. Hmm. Normally, when I bring these things up, what they're saying is just basically completely untrue. And in this particular case, that's actually not the, the, the story. Uh, it actually is true that the middle class is going away. What does that mean exactly, though? First of all, we should point out that the, the middle class can never die. <laughs> there can never be a situation in which the middle class is gone. Because if everyone made between $1 billion and $3 billion a year... The people in the middle would be two, making $2 billion a year. They might live in extravagant lifestyles, but they'd still be the middle class because that's how you figure this stuff out. Now, I will say it's very difficult for everyone in your society to make between $1 billion and $3 billion a year or more. Um, Zimbabwe tried it, uh, and so it is possible. Everyone's making trillions and trillions of dollars in Zimbabwe. Didn't make their life all that better. It's good that we're basically going down the Zimbabwe road now, giving that little experimental world of our own. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Every single time a politician comes up with this phrase, the death of the middle class, the middle class is disappearing. Whenever a media member comes up and they have their sleeves rolled up and they're in front of a factory and they're saying, look, uh, Jake, the, the, the middle class is disappearing, and uh, that's just very, very sad. You know, this used to be a country where we had a middle class, people living in the middle, and I love the middle. Every time you hear that, you should have some questions. Number one, when did America become a place where we aspire to be in the middle class? When did that happen? Is that what we aspire to? Look, monetary wealth is not the end goal of our lives. The American experiment is not built on money alone. It's not a, a materialistic society as far as its foundations go. But certainly when we look at America and this financial and economic success, it's been the most economically successful experiment that has ever occurred in the world. Part of that is rising up out of the middle class, not targeting the middle class as an end point. There's nothing wrong with being in the middle class. By definition, a lot of people in the middle are going to be there. That's totally fine. But we don't aspire to climb out of poverty and wind up in the middle class. The stories we all talk about are stories of people who started out small and ended up really big, rising above that. So the middle class is not a goal of Americans. It's a fine place to be. There's nothing wrong with being in the middle class. 
But the, the left and, and the media want you to believe that the goal is that everyone winds up in this middle class lifestyle where they go to work and they work a bunch of hours and they come home for a few hours a night and they talk to their kids and they struggle sometimes financially. But luckily, the government is there to help bail them out. That's not the America that I want. I want, I want Americans to be prosperous, to rise above the middle class. And what's funny about that is over time, that is what, what of course, has happened as even people in the middle class are living much better lifestyles than they did long ago. But let's go to this actual claim. Is the middle class disappearing? The answer to that is yes. Washington Post has published new data, and you know, people break this down a million different ways. The Washington Post ba- breaks it down into five income quintiles. Yes, we've used the word quintiles on the show. Basically, five groups of people, starting from the low end, from uh, you know poor and near poor, all the way up to super duper rich. So, how is this happening? You got five. You got lower. Uh, you know, got poor. You got lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, and rich. What's going on? Because this is the question you always have to ask someone who says, oh, the middle class is disappearing. Where are they going? Kind of an important follow-up if the middle class is disappearing. Let's look at the actual data. The middle class, defined between $54,000 and $108,000 per year, this is how it works out. Uh, 47%. We're in that group in 1967. And it's true, while it raised a little bit in 1981 to 50%, it has really been dropping over the past 40 years. 2002, it was only 39%. 2016, only 36%. So we've seen a significant drop-off of those that are considered middle class. That is the data they're using to say the middle class is disappearing. We have a real problem in this country. Well, is it a real problem that people are leaving the middle class? Is it? Well, it really depends on that follow-up, right? Where are they going? They're probably going to be super-duper poor. That's what you're supposed to believe, that these people are going from middle-class people to poor people. Well, let's look at the data on poor people. In 1967, it was 16% of people. 1981, 11%. 2002, 14%. 2016, 13%. So you do see a drop in the last 60 years or so from... Uh, from 16% to 13%, but it's basically been flat, right? It's bounced around around that number for poor people in this country since, you know, back in 1967. That's when we had the war on poverty. Think of how many trillions of dollars we have spent to knock out poverty, really to remain flat. But that is where uh, that the numbers have kept us. So it must not be from middle class to poor people. It's just middle class to lower middle class. People are losing that, that, the, the chance at, at surviving with some comfort. Maybe they're not all poor people, but they're lower middle class, right? Well, let's look at that. In 1967, 31% fell into the category of lower middle class. Now, in 1981, it was 20%. 2002, it was 17%. And 2016, it was 16%. Fact, the lower middle class has dropped from 31% to 16%, almost half of the people are now out of the lower middle class. The lower middle class seems to be the one that's disappearing, not the middle class, although that was disappearing as well. So where are all these people going? Are they super-duper rich? Now, the rich category in this particular data is $380,000 and more. So we're talking really, really wealthy here. Those people 
basically don't exist in our society. Very, very small percentage. Back in 1967, it was 0%. In 1981, it was 0%. 2002, it was 1%. And in 2016, it was 2%. So a slight rise. Some people have gone to the rich category, but very, very few. That's not where people are landing. They're leaving the middle class. They're leaving the lower middle class. They're going somewhere. And that somewhere is the upper middle class. That's where people are going. Here's the data to back it up. In 1967, only 6% of people were in the upper middle class. That climbed to 18% in 1981. That climbed to 29% in 2002 and 33% in 2016. It is now the second largest category of people, only behind the middle class, but basically tied with the middle class. A third of this country is in the upper middle class. And again, that is identified by making $108,000 to $380,000 a year. That's a good living. This is not like, this is McMansion territory, right? That's a good freaking gig. $180,000 to $380,000 a year. That's one third of the population. So that's where we are right now. We have a country that has one third upper middle class, one third middle class, and one third below that in the lower middle class or poor categories. Would we like everyone to be in the rich category? Sure, we would. We would love everyone to make over $380,000 a year. I will remind you, by the way, it is important to note, all of these numbers are adjusted for inflation. So it's not just because, oh, well, I made $5 an hour in 1960, and now I make 15. Well, that's because of inflation. No, these are all adjusted for inflation. The bottom line is people are moving categories all the time. People don't stay the way that they always are. That's what they want you to believe about capitalism. They want you to believe that once you're in some category, you're born to being rich, you'll always be rich. You're born being poor, you'll always be poor. Well, we see tons of movement by individuals in and out of these categories. But as a societal sort of grouping, what we see is a real change in this country over the past 50 years. A change that is dramatic, where people have left the middle class and have moved into the upper middle class. People have left the lower middle class and moved into the upper middle class. The movement has gone from lower middle class and middle class to upper middle class. That is not the narrative you hear from the media or our politicians. Why? Why don't you hear about that? Why isn't that interesting to seemingly anyone other than, you know, the, the, the nerds that watch this show? Uh, why? Well, it's because it pushes against the idea that capitalism is this enemy. It pushes against the idea that capitalism is ruining the country. It pushes against the idea that the Reagan era, which is most of the time that we're talking about here in this data, uh, and beyond, where capitalism and, and uh, free market economics were pushed to the forefront, not just of the conversation generally, but of the Republican Party. I mean, remember, go before Reagan, that really, that was a, it was a totally different idea. Now, look, we've seen Republicans, Democrats, centrists all fall down when trying to maintain this idea of a capitalism and a free market. But generally speaking, we have a country that has uh, prioritized capitalism more than anyone else. But if you look across the globe, you've seen other places. Uh, China, for many decades, prioritized some 
outward business type of activity inside of their terrible structure and saw major gains. India has embraced capitalism over the years and has shown incredible gains. This is happening all over the world and it's not a freaking coincidence. So why would we try to reverse it? Why would we go the other way? Why would we look at you know, visions of America that people like AOC have who sit here and tell you all the time, all we need to do is print money forever and everything will be fine. Spend money from the government. It's not the, the markets are evil. Capitalism is evil. We need to end capitalism after all of the success. This has been an incredible era of prosperity. Things are much, much better when it comes to economic uh, issues than they were 50 years ago. Our culture, lots of questions going on in that. Some really good developments over that period, a lot of really bad developments over that period. But when we're talking about just human beings having uh, more to do with, you know, when it comes to time, when it comes to money, when it comes to resources, we're moving in the right direction. And the media and the left will never tell you that. It's important to, to remember that that is true. So remember, the middle class is disappearing, yes, but it is disappearing to the upper class. And that is a good thing. Even after the overturn of Roe versus Wade, I still can't believe I'm saying that. That just feels weird. I've been through so many years thinking that was not even possible, but it is possible. Even though it's occurred, abortion is still a huge problem in America. Many states are still doing it and they're doing it even more than normal. There is a solution though, and that's preborn. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through an ultrasound. Once they hear that heartbeat, 80% of them choose life. But preborn doesn't just stop there. They love and support these mothers with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, and so many more, so much more, up to two years after birth. I mean, that really is an incredible uh, blessing for these mothers. Preborn is completely dependent on you, the pro-life community, as they fight uh, all the giants that are going against uh, the efforts that they are trying to accomplish here by, I don't know, keeping babies alive. It's a crazy idea. For just 28 bucks, you can help keep a baby alive, or $140 sponsors five ultrasounds. And through a match, your gift is now doubled, so give it a shot. 100% of your donation will be will go towards saving babies. Our goal is to save 50,000 Blaze babies this year. Will you join us? Dial pound 250 and uh, say the keyword baby. It's pound 250. The keyword is baby. Or you can donate securely at preborn.com slash stew, preborn.com slash stew. I want to bring in Jason Buttrell. He's a head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck, and he's going to be on. Yes, the Christmas party power hour coming up a week from tonight, isn't it? Is that is it that fast? It's that fast. Oh my gosh! I gotta, start, I gotta get into training. <laughs> oh man, dang! This is a terrible decision. Uh, <laughs> Always doing yet another one of these. We do these for you. We don't like doing them. Uh, although at the end, we usually do like doing them, <laughs> yeah. and for a couple of hours, and then after that, we hate life for a couple of days. This is the way these things work. But you should join us, uh, studospowerhour.com. Get all the details there, and check it out. Jason Buttrell will be. They, they tell me to say this, but I don't understand it. He'll be defending his title. Yep, that's true. Yeah, this will be number four. I will be the four-time champ. I, I've, I've got, I went three for three. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of did the whole, you know, like when the Cowboys won their first, you know, well, not their first, but they won those two Super Bowls in the 90s. I don't they remember took, either I, one. I, Yeah, it happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like then they took one year off and then they came back and won the third because it was just too easy, right? Um, that's kind of the position I was last power So they must hour. think the league is really easy now because they haven't won in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> no. Riding that 10-1, it's going to go down soon. I got to remain in the positive while I, I have it. it. I get it. Uh, before we start, because I want to get into <laughs> a show you've been working on can you start this by revealing what is on your shirt oh yeah i think this will get into this is perfect it says noah was a conspiracy theorist then it rained (laughs) i tell you what i you know so we look at a lot of crazy stuff working here um especially in my job Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it just doesn't make the cutting room floor sometimes i'll like temper it i'm like okay this is definitely kind of weird that's how kind of how we were with like the wuhan stuff you know what i mean yeah you couldn't necessarily completely lock it down but there's enough strangeness there to make you really question it right and now i'm not completely convinced i'm like 50 percent convinced you know that it actually was a leak out of the lab well actually it might be a little bit more than that maybe a little more yeah it's it's there's a lot of evidence there. Greater than average chance that mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like how we used to do it. Like So post-Iraq in the intelligence community, we, would, uh, we stopped saying, yes, we believe that there is weapons of mass destruction here. Or mm-hmm. yes, we believe Osama bin Laden is in this house. Now we, give a prob- now we say, okay, 99% possibility <laughs> or a 95% probability right. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, Stu, when I got into this show, I have a... 99.9% probability <laughs> Wow! about the pipe bomb thing. Okay, this is interesting. So, this is insane. This is Jan- the January 6th situation. And actually, this would be, I guess, maybe the 5th, right, or, or whatever. Because this is something that we heard about around January 6th quite a bit, that there were pipe bombs uh, planted in the city w- around the headquarters, right, of the RNC, and that they have footage of them. And that is just sort of dried up. We have not heard much about it since. So take us back to like what we know and where you think this might be going. So what we know and what we don't know, there's, there's very little of what we know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of shadiness injected in the middle of it, which <laughs> makes people like me have a field day. Right. But it makes you wonder why the heck that they have left it the way they have. And yeah. now they just refuse to talk about it. Yeah, because, you know, your job in particular is like you're getting you're not always starting with pieces of information that are correct. Like you're starting with a, sometimes a theory or a thought or uh, someone, you know, a couple of pieces of disconnected information and trying to piece it together. And a lot of times we've talked about this. There have been these situations where there's a big theory going around the Internet. There's some, you know, some chatter about something. You look at it and you say, you know what? No, I don't think this one is, is real. This particular thing is something that has been all over the internet. There's been a lot of um, uh, suspicion about it, but very little actual knowledge. We, we don't, really don't know what happened here. You, though, went through the information. What did you find? So before I go into this timeline, so we've been working on this uh, chalkboard for Glenn to lay out. Um, that's when I became convinced when it was all laid out on the chalkboard. I'm going to try and take you really quick through yeah. that timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to, but to kick it off, the whole pipe bomb thing is really important to the January 6th committee and the entire narrative of this was a coordinated attack mm-hmm. on the federal government. This was an insurrection. So this is a very big part, and the Capitol Police uh, chief, the, well, the former one, when he testified, he said exactly that. He was like, the timing, where they were, was, uh, looked very uh, suspiciously like it was a coordinated attack. That's almost a direct quote from him. I'm like, okay, that's their narrative. So, but when you look at the timeline, 
there's some things that kind of counter contradict that. Okay. So to start on the timeline, you got to go actually go back to January 5th, around 7:30 to 8:30 p.m. January 5th, the night before. That's when the pipe bomber if he was a pipe bomber, <laughs> um, made his little walk around Washington, D.C. and got caught on so many CCTV cameras. Did you see any of those? Yeah, oh yeah, I remember seeing the footage. I remember, and they were trying to like, who is this person? You need to identify them. A little grainy, really hard to see. Couldn't tell exactly what he was doing, but this was the guy they had as a suspect. Right, and he did, and he did look suspicious. Um, mm-hmm. walked, he walked by the RNC location. That was the first pipe bomb at the RNC. Walked by that, we don't actually have footage of neither the pipe, that pipe bomb specifically, or of him actually placing it. Mm-hmm. But he walked by there, then he walked by the DC, sat on a couple of benches. We also don't have footage, I'll get back to this in a second, of the pipe bomber actually placing the pipe bomb. I'll just get back to that later. Mm-hmm. But then you see, so anyway, so the night before, 7.30 to 8.30, he's, he's walking around supposedly pl- uh, planting pipe bombs. Now let's fast forward. January 6th. So the first thing that I put on my timeline that was just odd was, I I can't remember, I think it was around 11 to 11.15, something like that. Kamala Harris left the Capitol building. Now, I thought that was odd because at 1 p.m. she was supposed to preside over the certification of the election. Right. This is her election. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be something that you'd want to put on your you know, your memory scrapbook. This is the day I sure. presided over my own certification. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Seems like a big deal. Where does she go? She goes to the DNC. Why did she go to the DNC? I don't know. Read into that what you will, but she goes to the DNC. Well, you like- can, I'll, I'll give you some other things that you can draw some conclusions on that. Okay. But she goes to the DNC. Now, if she's, now, she did go to the DNC. She's at the DNC. Now, the Secret Service, before the vice president-elect would even show up at a location, would have to do a full sweep of this building, inside and out, bomb-sniffing dogs, all of that. If we're to believe this pipe bomb was even there, uh, at that bench at the DNC, why didn't the Secret Service notice it? Why did not one uh, bomb-sniffing dog get a whiff of the explosives in that mm. thing that was left out in the open? It wasn't hidden. It was just right there by the bench. Mm. That's very, very, that's shocking. But you might say, Stu, mm-hmm. well, Jason just subpoenaed the text messages of the Secret Service or any other communications and find out what they were saying. Right. Maybe they would say, hey, this is why Kamala decided to leave her certification vote and go to the DNC. Or, hey, this is why we didn't, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Secret Service did get subpoenaed for those communications, and lo and behold, <laughs> they erased all of their communications oh, no. on both the fifth and the sixth. Oh, you know that happens sometimes. It, you know, sometimes it does. Yeah, you know, just you got to roll with the punches. You know, it happened to Nixon. That happened, the same <laughs> thing happened to Nixon. Yes. You know, if I remember right. Totally legitimate. Totally you know, legitimate. S- just some scenario. technical issues. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they this the pipe bomb is by a bench. Kamala Harris passes right by it, basically. Somehow the Secret Service does not pick this up, but then they eventually, what happens next? Do they eventually, they eventually find it. Who finds it? So they don't find the DNC one first. Uh, the one at the RNC is the one that's found first. And it's found by a woman that um, is listed as a Washington, D.C. resident and a, an employee at the Department of Commerce. Sounds very benign. Um, she stated that, you know, she was like at a lunch break and she was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go and do some laundry and walk down this alley towards my house. So she does that. And oh my gosh, there's a pipe bomb, right? You know, by this trash can at the RNC. Mm. 
Um, she actually knows it's a pipe bomb, or she says it, thinks it's a suspicious package. Do we know? Well, <laughs> she said that uh, she's all into that recycling thing. That's almost a direct quote. And okay. she saw something that didn't look natural, uh, you know, not like leaves oh, or anything. So she decided to reach down there and pick <laughs> it up and put it in the trash can. So she goes and looks at it, and she goes, oh, my gosh, there's a pipe bomb right there. And she not only knows that it's a pipe bomb, she also looks at the, of, mm. of the bomb, and there's a kitchen timer on it, and she was uh, perceptive enough to know that it was stuck at 20 minutes until detonation. So uh, this kitchen timer was a one-hour one uh, timer. It was conveniently stuck right at 20 minutes, 20 minutes exactly before the certification vote was supposed to go off. It was supposed to go off, and 20 minutes from then was uh, 1 p.m. Mm. So in theory... Very convenient. In theory, you there could have been the... the you, <laughs> I'm trying to be careful. Come on, no, I want to make sure on. I understand. <laughs> so in theory, like the idea would be potentially this bomb was supposed to go off when Kamala was there, right? Because it was 20 minutes before she actually was there. Well, she was at the DNC. This is the RNC one. Oh, this is the RNC one. Okay, yeah. I, got, I want to make sure I'm getting... The, yeah, they don't even know the DNC one exists yet. Got it, okay. So, so it's supposed to go off when they're having this vote at right. the RNC. But you could say that's consistent with a, with a person trying to cause chaos in Washington, right? A... a a protester of some sort, a January 6th, uh, you know, uh, rioter. Well, let me throw this at you. Well, for one, it's, it's weird that it, it paused right at that perfect time. Mm -hmm. It's a one-hour timer. When were these bombs placed, allegedly? Right, at, in the middle of the night. So, so they should have gone off at 9 p.m. January 5th that evening. Hmm. How could it be a diversion and the sole narrative that this was a coordinated attack? It couldn't have. It's not physically possible. So the timer was stuck at the perfect time possible. It was discovered at the most perfect time possible. And it shouldn't have even, it, it, didn't, it didn't exist for the stated purpose. Well, could, could it be a situation where they, let's say it wasn't necessarily timed to the, uh, the vote. And it was just supposed to go off in the overnight to cause chaos beforehand so that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I... Couldn't it be that it wasn't necessarily timed to that vote? It was supposed to go off at 9 p.m., but just didn't work. Well, but then it wouldn't have been for a diversion. Right. Wouldn't that wouldn't have been, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean. It's possible, but that doesn't fit the entire theory. It's possible, but it does nothing. Okay. And also, if that was their goal, then the entire D.C. area would have been locked down. They wouldn't even have had their, you know, insurrection. Right. right. It would, it would be, have been stopped right. that night. Yep, yep. So it, none of that makes sense. So um, I think it was a, an, uh, an author for American Greatness, I think, actually looked into the woman that, that found this. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember her name. I won't say her name, whatever. It doesn't matter. But um, this D.C. resident and employee of the Department of Commerce actually works for a telecom company that is called FirstNet, I believe. Okay. And they work with first responders to, I guess, get better you know, communications or whatever in times mm -hmm. of crisis. Um, FirstNet, two weeks-ish before January 6th, um, so in December, got a $92 million contract from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Kind of interesting. Um, their board member includes multiple members of the Department of Justice, including the Attorney General, sits on their board. Um, also multiple members of the Department of Homeland Security, including Secretary Mayorkas. More weird things surrounding this person that happened to be in the perfect possible place at the perfect possible time with the most fortuitous, you know, uh, <laughs> right. timer that, yeah. that, you know, 
awesomely just stopped 20 minutes before the certification vote. Now, there was no, there was another bomb. There's two bombs here, right? Yeah. The other one, uh, was it built the same way? Did it also have a timer that stopped? <laughs> okay, so, so we don't have footage of, or a picture of the first RNC bomb. We do have a picture of the DNC bomb, mm-hmm. which we've been told was exactly the same as the, as the okay. RNC one. So the actual so picture that So why didn't that, that one have, go off? Um, the same. It also got stuck <laughs> at 20 minutes? So yeah, we, that one, we're not exactly sure where it was stuck, <laughs> right. but the timer was not operable. So it wouldn't, but again, okay. it was the same construction, a one hour you know, kitchen timer that should have gone off the night before, but also did not. Very interesting. Um, right after the RNC bomb was discovered, the Capitol Police were uh, alerted to it. They then told uh, the Secret Service. Secret Service, uh, I guess, did a sweep and found, or the Capitol Police did the sweep, I'm not sure, of the DNC. And then they were like, hey, look at it. It's right out in the open. How did we miss this? Mm. That's re- kind of odd. And then they did this dramatic you know, um, evacuation of the fi- vice president-elect. Um, kind of showy. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, there are way too many th- uh, details of this that just absolutely do not make sense to me. And I know there's I, a lot more to it that, you're, that uh, is on the show that you've been working on. Um, and oh, you can watch all the detail there. We have about a minute left. Well, is there one more thing you can hit me with? Go to Revolver News. They did a break, uh, uh, like a frame by frame breakdown of all the CCTV footage. Mm. They did a lot of this that this research. Um, but they talk about how the FBI, when they showed the CCTV footage, especially the DNC bomb, there's two benches where there's where and two cameras uh, showing him do, doing this. For some reason, they don't. They cut away from the shot that would have showed him placing the bomb on the ground. Like they show him, then all of a sudden they cut to a different camera and you see him bend over and they're saying that's when he laid it, put it down. But they cut out, they edited the, uh, the camera angle so hmm. that you can't see the exact money shot. Hmm. Why would they do that? I don't know. Did he not, do you think he didn't place a bomb? It's either that, that there was no bomb there to begin with. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how no one would not notice a bomb sitting there for, from 7.30 p.m. all the way up until like <laughs> noon the next day. That's kind of something you, that stands out. Yeah, at a major political target, too. Right. It's not just like some place, you know, where, you know, like there's a lot of trash around. Like this is a major political target on a major day. Yeah, I, I don't know. Either it wasn't there or I don't know. Mm, it's okay. very hard. It's very, right. or, or maybe they don't want a federal agent on camera placing you know, a dangerous bomb in front mm. of the DNC. I don't know. I'll, there's questions abound on this. I'm convinced now. Well, okay, sorry. 99.9% chance <laughs> that there is some shadiness. There's some chicanery going on here. Mm. We're, we're not being told the full truth. And I don't know. It's kind of like when you know, they say that they had eight informants inside the, the Proud Boys. Um, they caught, you know, they charged some of them with seditious conspiracy or whatever, but uh, they were caught off guard that January 6th was gonna happen? It's, it, I mean, there's a lot of really what? strange stuff here. Like, look, you know, this is just an appetizer for everything that's on <laughs> the Glenn Beck show. You gotta see the, all the information and you can make up your mind for yourself. And also I think for more questions because that's really why you wind up. What is actually going on and, and how did this all go down? Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, make sure you check out this program and Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the best agent. 
A lot of people just go with whoever they know. That's kind of the typical thing people do with real estate agents. I know Bob. Bob does it. You know, I think he's like, he works a few hours a week on the weekends. He's a cousin of a guy who used to be my former roommate. And you go through this whole situation where it's like loosely connected to you. It's not really the personal connection that's the most important thing when you're looking for a real estate agent. It's the person who has the best results, who's going to do the best uh, job for you in one of the most important uh, in transactions you'll ever be involved in. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a way to kind of take all that whole process, boil it down so you get the best agent in your area. Contact them and they can contact you to get, make sure you get a uh, the best agent in your area. All you got to do is go to realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. This is free to you, realestateagentsitrust.com. One week from tonight, it is the Studios America Christmas Party. Power Hour. Yes, uh, it's the 9th of December. Uh, make sure to join us. Uh, it's going to be a great, great time. And there's a couple things you need to do. Number one, go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash America. There, follow the show, uh, click uh, the bell, and you will be alerted when this thing uh, gets started. That's, of course, step number one. Step number two is maybe if you're deciding you want to do a little bit something crazy. You know, you want to do something a little fun. Maybe you want to come down here and join us in studio for the Power Hour. Go to StuDoesPowerHour.com, StuDoesPowerHour.com. There, you can sign up for free tickets to come and see us in studio here in Dallas, if you happen to be in the area, and check out the Power Hour live. Now, the Power Hour, if you've never experienced one of these, it's like the old, it's like an old school college drinking game. I don't remember even how we got started on this uh, again, but basically it's one shot of beer per minute for an hour. And it starts out fine. Everything's coherent and love, and it's just everyone is having a great time. It does escalate from there. It gets a little bit uncomfortable uh, and a little crazy. And uh, we try to talk politics. We try to do, uh, you know, normal things, but it gets to be a little bit of a mess. But either way, it's fun for you. You can watch it on YouTube exclusively. And of course, you can be here in studio. Just get the details. StuDoesPowerHour.com. StuDoesPowerHour.com. One week just one week away. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a LeBron. No, don't be like LeBron James because he's so incredibly stupid. And I want to make that point from a story earlier this week. There was a picture that came out of Cowboys owner Jerry Jones from when he was, I think, 14 years old in the year 1957. And apparently it was in one of these situations where there was some Something going on at a school. The, the context not really clear. Looks like maybe black kids are trying to come in uh, to the school and white kids are blocking them. Jones is off to the side, but he's on the side of the white kids. It's not really clear what's going on. Anyway, uh, LeBron James thought a really good point to make was, hey, you guys asked me about the Kyrie Irving situation where he was talking about uh, anti-Semitic um, you know, uh, documentaries. You asked me about that. Why hasn't anyone asked me about the Jerry Jones photo. Now, that's an interesting question and one that a fourth grader might very well think is a good point, but it's interesting that an adult would think it is. Of course, it's not the same sport. Um, It's not his personal friend. It was from 1957, not a week ago. Um, Let's see, uh, what else is there? Well, there is, of course, the idea that it was, um, Jones was a kid at the time, and Kyrie uh, Kyrie Irving is an adult. You know, we don't know what happened with the Jones situation. We do know what happened with the Kyrie situation. So all that being said, you might say, is there a way to test this thesis, right? Like, 
If there were a similar situation, let's say in the sport of basketball, with uh, an adult owner that was happening in a current situation and where the details were known, maybe then would they ask uh, LeBron James about it? And of course, the answer to that is yes. With Donald Sterling and the Clippers owner, they were all they asked LeBron James about it every five seconds. Uh, with the situation with the Phoenix Suns owner, they asked him about that over and over again. In fact, every time some random person gets shot in questionable circumstances by police, they go immediately to LeBron James and he blabs about it for hours, even though he never has any information on what's going on. The most amazing part of this is not even what a dumb point it was. It's that LeBron James thought it was a good point. If you spend four seconds thinking about it, you know it's not a good point. But LeBron James did not spend four seconds thinking about it because LeBron James is incapable for thinking uh, of thinking for four consecutive seconds. It's just embarrassing. And and damn you, LeBron James, for making me defend the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Sort of. He's still evil, but that's a whole nother situation. OK, uh, before we go, uh, it's it's look, it's it's Friday. We're a week away from power hour. Uh, you know, sometimes certain substances can change the way you act. That's what happens at Power Hour sometimes to give you fair warning. It's also what happened in the new movie, Cocaine Bear. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 don't eat that, don't eat that. Let's see what kind of effect that has on you. The bear. It's- did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. <laughs> and look, if society is going to melt and crumble and go, look, we might as well all watch Cocaine Bear before the thing burns to the ground, right? This is actually based on a quote-unquote true story, which is not really true. I mean, it, a, a, I guess a bear did actually have cocaine. The end of that story was the, the bear ate the cocaine and died. However, that's not what happens in Cocaine Bear. The Cocaine Bear is a little bit more exciting. It's coming out in theaters very soon. Make sure you don't miss it. It's time for Stu Eats America. Yes, where I get to eat on television. It's lots of fun. I think you'll enjoy it. And what we do here is we look for the innovative new snacks that have just hit the market and we taste test them for you so you can go spend your calories in the best place possible. It's the holiday season. We've got a little winter edition here. And what do you want to do in the winter? Well, first thing you want to do, of course, is get a nice hot piping bowl of chili. Yes, what a way to uh, you go out to a football game, you're tailgating out in the parking lot, get some game day chili. You're going to have some of that. Well, we happen to have brand new from Lay's. It's game day chili flavored Lay's. That's right. It's not flavored like normal chili. It's flavored like chili you can only eat on game day. It is hearty. It says hearty, cook off, and crispy, and then touchdown which are just words loosely related to the concept of these chips. But that's what they went with here. Give it a whirl. By the way, we rate these on a scale. Nice little uh, smell. Uh, we rate these on a scale like the old school grading scale. A plus down to an F. And uh, let me give these a whirl. Again, Lay's Game Day Chili Flavored. That's it. Just stops there. I guess it's potato chips. Mmm. Those are pretty good. Hmm. 
like these. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how I would like them for a long period of time. I would say, if you're making chili and you want to impress people, get a bag of these things, crumple up the chili, crumple them up like this, dump them on top of the chili, fantastic. Um, I would say these are pretty solid. I think I could eat a, a good solid bag of these. I'm gonna give these a, I'm gonna give it a B, a solid B, which is a good grade. At least that's what I told myself back in high school. Now, to cleanse the palate, because here's the thing, I've got another chili flavored situation going on here, but to cleanse the palate, I wanna do it the, the best way possible, the way that all the real cul culinary uh, experts do it, with Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. Yes, this is a new soda from the makers of Mountain Dew. And yes, it is supposedly flavored like fruitcake. Now, why would anyone want a soda that is flavored after the one dessert that never gets touched during the holidays? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Cleanse the palate here with a little Mountain Dew fruitquake. <laughs> the smell is weird. It's a weird, it's a weird freaking smell. All right, let me give it a shot. Uh, this is a, a blast of artificial fruitcake flavor. Do they have a vat of that somewhere? Is there a giant vat of artificial fruitcake flavor they've been looking to use for multiple decades and no one has ever wanted? And then they came up with the use with it, right? Just pouring it on top of their Mountain Dew. Here we go, let's try it out. That's not bad. That's not, I mean, it's, it's got a kind of an apple sort of taste to it. Uh, hmm. Okay, I, I don't know I could drink a whole bottle of it. It's really, really sweet and almost apple-y and kind of weird tasting. Um, it's not as bad as you might think. And I don't know, I don't remember eating fruitcake. It's been a long, long time, but it's not terrible. Uh, but I will give it a, a C. A solid C minus. The second step, I went from a C to a C minus. I'm going to give it a C minus. It's not terrible, though. You'd think it would be terrible, but it's not. Now, I wanted to bring out the Lay's Game Day Chili, and we're going to go back to back to see which one's better. Another product, another chili product. This one is a limited-time flavor. Lay's Kettle Cooked Fritos Chili Cheese Flavored Fritos. Now, by, the, by that description... Am I eating chips? Am I eating Lay's or am I eating Fritos? It says Fritos chili cheese flavored Fritos. So I think in theory, I should be having Fritos right now. This says, uh, how perfect would this be? Fritos chili cheese flavor meets crispy, iconic Lay's chips. Chips plus Fritos equals question mark. They don't even know if these are Fritos or chips. You be the judge of this savory flavor combo. Try all four for a limited time. I guess they have four different flavors. We only have this one right here. So which one is better, game day chili or Fritos chili cheese flavored Fritos? Just give it a shot. Okay, apologizing for the loud crunching here because we've got some kettle chips going on. And if you know anything about kettle chips, these are like jawbreakers. They're the crispiest chips out there. Okay. These are edible. They're not bad, but they're not as good as the game day chili ones. If I were to say, I'm gonna rank these things, I'm definitely going game day chili one, Fritos chili cheese Fritos, Lay's Fritos, limited edition double Fritos, Lay's uh, number two. And 
they have a little, much less taste, taste less like chili, and taste nothing like Fritos. They taste like kettle chips. They're fine. You could eat them, but I wouldn't go crazy if you're looking to really get that flavor down. So uh, if I, I'm going to give that one a, I'm going to give it a C plus, C plus. So a B for the chili, for the game day, C plus for the Lay's, and a C minus for the Fruit Quake. And the bottom line is, if you give this to someone, uh, it'll probably, uh, this is like, this, is, this exists in a, it's a liquid. It exists in a plastic bottle, and it still will not last as long as an actual fruitcake left out in the open air. That's something to think about next time you're eating fruitcake.